It's easy to talk about the easy stuff. Work. Sports. But sometimes, we need to talk about the hard stuff. The difficult questions that linger in our minds, but we're afraid to ask. Is there truly a way to know right from wrong? Do advances in science undermine the authority of the Bible? Does God have anything to say about my depression? Does God hate me because I'm gay? Because I'm transgender? Is it just lights out when we die? Or is there something more? For too long, the church has avoided difficult conversations. As well, they're difficult. We're ready to change that. The afterlife, mental health, evolution, sexuality. This is a conversation about what God really has to say about these topics. Buckle up, this might get awkward. Oh man, I really like this church. Whoo! Is this not fun? This is, this is, like, let, me, let me just introduce you to this church. If you're brand new uh, to Baby Glen, let me just introduce you, and I'm going to use the choir to do it, okay? Uh, choir people, um, hi. hi. Yeah. See, see how the choir is responsive like that? Learn something, okay? <laughs> how many of you, this is your very first time singing in the choir today? How many of you? All right, one, two, three, four, five-ish, five, give or take. And uh, who has been singing in the choir the longest? Miss Joyce. Ms. Joyce, what year is this in the Bayview Glen Church Choir for you? What year are you at? Yeah, in this, in this choir. Are you trying to do the math? <laughs> Since the church opened. When was that? Jesus was a boy. <laughs> Joyce, how long, how long? 50 years? Is that too, longer than that? 50-something years. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Choir, uh, how many of you were born inside of Canada? Okay, cool. How many of you were born outside of Canada? That should be the rest of you. Good, all right. Uh, South American? Yeah, represent, cool. Uh, Asian, East Asian? Yeah. Yeah, what, Central Asia? Mid, Midwest Asia? Is, it, is that what it is? South Asia? Yeah. I'm probably going to get fired after this, so this is... It's been great. European? Any European? No European. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> let's see. What did I miss? Anyone? American? <laughs> Do what? Africa. Africa? Yeah. Any African? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, princess. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So if you're brand new to Baby Glen Church, if I missed anyone, you're more than welcome to write me an email, uh, a, a very nasty email. My email is kevinc at bayviewglen.org. So. Uh, what you stepped into this morning is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of Christ followers. The, frankly, if we just went through the kind of list of people in this room, we don't have that much in common, do we? We don't. We don't. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And there's really only one thing that could make us come together, sing together, pray together, and be a family together. And that's the risen Christ. And that's what we're here to do and to celebrate. And there's only, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and there's also only really one thing 
uh, that can make the annual meeting of ministry partners tolerable. And that's the risen Christ. Is that, so if you, uh, just so you know, we have our annual meeting of ministry partners tonight. What we do, ministry partners are people who have made a formal commitment to Bayview Glen Church to say, this is my home. I'm joining on mission and on vision with Bayview Glen Church. Other churches might call it membership. We call it ministry partnership because we partner together as servants and that's what that ministry piece comes from. It starts at 6 p.m. I think we're having like coffee and you know some refreshments and things around 5 30. Uh, what we do is we worship, we pray, we look forward to what God is doing in the coming year. We thank God for what he's done in the previous year. We get to know a couple of new elders, uh, a firm, a budget, that kind of thing. So all are welcome. Ministry partners, we kind of expect to see you there. Uh, but if you're investigating ministry partnership, uh, one of the questions that we actually got submitted in advance was, how do I become a ministry partner? What is a ministry partner? We're going to answer that tonight. So if you're investigating that, considering that, if you've been here with us for a while and you're like, you know what, I think I'd like to make a formal commitment here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But anybody, anybody and everybody is, is welcome because we want to just uh, do these things with full transparency. There's a couple of documents online, babyglenorg slash AMMP that you can uh, pick up and read beforehand tonight in, in digital version so that you are well prepared for this evening. All right, let's pray together. We'll get into God's word. God, thank you again for the joy that you bring us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Thank you, God, for giving us far more than we could have asked or imagined. God, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If we were given a clean slate, an empty piece of paper, and we could write down all of the best things that we think this life could bring, None of us could have imagined the hope of Jesus. None of us could have imagined your presence with us. With the psalmist, we respond, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would think of him, but you have crowned us with glory, God, and honor. You have called us your own, created us in your image, and we are so grateful. God, teach us something today from your word. In the name of Christ, God's people, together said, amen. Amen. Um, are, are, are people still trying to find seats back there? Are you guys still trying to find seats? Or are you okay? We're like really, really, really packed this morning. I want to tell you a little bit, like just kind of who I am in my heart. Super, super packed, except for the front row. <laughs> That's rude is what that is. That's rude. So people are like, he spits, so don't sit in the front. All right. Um, we're in the middle of a series called This Might Get Awkward. And what we did was we polled our congregation and we sent it out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff. And we asked people, what would you like us to talk about? What would you like us to address from a biblical perspective in terms of topics that are important in our culture today? So the subtitle of the series is Honest Conversations About Tough Topics in Our Culture Today. And we said, you could pick anything you want. Here are some examples, but there's an empty slot on there. You could pick anything you want. And, and I uh, was not surprised by some of the topics that came back. Uh, people asked us to talk about mental health. We're doing that next week. Uh, people asked us to talk about sexuality. We're doing that in two weeks. People asked us to talk about money and power. They asked us to talk about science and the Bible. All are topics that are really relevant in our culture today. But the topic that, that we're going to address this morning, I think, is really fascinating because, again, this is topics in our culture today. And the topic that people asked us to address via that survey was the afterlife. The afterlife. This is not necessarily something that's unique to our culture today, is it? 
I mean, any culture you could look at throughout time has had questions about what comes after we die. Aztec and Mayan culture, Roman culture, Greek culture, all the cultures that are represented in the choir and here in this room, uh, not just today but throughout time, people have wondered, pondered, pontificated even as to what comes after one dies. And frankly, this is going to be an awkward conversation. This is what we've said over the last couple of weeks is because opposing opinions and strong emotions will come together. And this conversation really is high stakes because from a Christian perspective, what comes after this is eternity and it's consciousness, not oblivion or something like that. And this will get awkward, uh, even Michael Scott awkward. So so we do have an awkward conversation to talk about today. And, And instead of of going through multiple worldviews and saying, here's the Hindi worldview, here's the Islamic worldview and Muslim worldview, and going through different worldviews and saying, here's how the Bible contradicts those views or says something different than those views. What I want to suggest to you this morning or present to you this morning is what does the Bible say? Specifically, even what does Jesus say about the life to come? And I want to answer two critical questions, and they are these. Uh, Is there life after death? It's the only way I really know how to say that. It's probably got some problems with the language there, but, but that's the best way I know how to ask that question. Is there life after death? Second question is this. What is life after death? What happens? What's on the other side? And it's interesting that we even use this language, and this is fascinating to me, that we use this language life after death, or we talk about the after life. Uh, Look up here on the screen. Here's why it's interesting to me. What we kind of uh, suppose and what we kind of have in our minds is that here is our current life on this earth, and there will be a time when when this color, cyan, I think, or turquoise, that represents death. I could have used black, but, you know, this is a lot happier. Okay, so cyan, and it represents death, and then there will be a time where we go into life after death, on into perpetuity, or on into eternity. I think that's kind of what we picture. You know, we have however many years on this planet, 70, 80, 90, some less, some more, and then that moment that we breathe our last, we enter into this state of being that is usually a couple of things, at least in our mind. It means that our soul uh, separates from our body or our spirit, kind of our consciousness, who we really are, and our body is either cremated or buried, and then that soul goes to exist in some place called either heaven or hell. That's the traditional kind of Christian worldview. And what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that there's a lot of things about that view that I just presented that are not biblical, that that, that aren't uh, there in the scripture. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what God has for us on the other side of this life. And what we have to do is we have to start with creation. We have to start with creation We have to start in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God separated the waters from the land, and God said, let vegetation spring up on the land, and he filled the oceans with fish, and he filled uh, the, the land with animals, and finally he got to humankind and created them, male and female, in his own image. 
And he charged them to keep the garden that he had put them in and to cultivate it and to work it and to tend it. And in God's creation, everything was perfect. Man and God could walk together, as the Bible says, in the cool of the day. They could commune together. There was these experiences of the divine on a regular basis. God gave them all kinds of good gifts that they could enjoy without any hindrance, without anything getting in the way. Things like work. Things like sex, praise God. Things like uh, relationship with one another. There was all of those things in God's perfect creation there in Genesis chapter 1. Unfortunately, man thought it was better to be his own God than to let God be God. That's never a good idea. And Genesis chapter chapter 3 tells us this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself what? What is it therefore, right? As a result of your rebellion, as a result of your sin, as a result of you saying, I can be a better God than you can, God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what the Bible is kind of trying to say here, saying to us, is that what was once perfect and whole has now been fractured. Whereas once God and man were together, now man has been sent out. Whereas there was once the garden to keep and man and the land were kind of intertwined together and it just kind of rendered up fruits and vegetables, now there was toil involved. Whereas once uh, childbirth was painless, now it is painful. Whereas once God's creation was perfect, now it's broke. Now it's fractured. The Bible goes on to say God drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, anytime in the scripture anyone goes east, that's a bad thing. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's what we're going to call this moment this morning just to get our heads wrapped around what's coming in the life to come. We're going to call it decreation. Decreation. This is destruction. This is fracture. This is lack of wholeness. And it's not just lack of wholeness uh, from a, you know, a cosmic perspective, but from a personal perspective. Our identity as who we are, human beings, our relationships, everything became fractured. Our relationship with God, everything became fractured in that moment. And now, guess what? That's where we live. In that fractured world, in that imperfect world that's been marred by sin, that's been uh, not ruined but, but impacted greatly by our rebellion and by our desire to continue to be gods ourselves. Have you watched the news lately? That's the world we live in. Now, again, in order to kind of get our head around what Jesus and what Paul have to say about the life to come, what we need to do is fast forward to kind of the end of the book. Has you ever seen that movie Sixth Sense? Does anybody ever see that movie? Okay, you watch that movie, and at the end, you figure out that Bruce Willis's character is dead, right? He's been dead the whole time. If you haven't seen that movie, he's been dead the whole time. Don't, you don't need to watch it now. Um, and he's been dead the whole time. And then if you watch the movie again, like everything makes sense in light of that fact, right? 
Everything now makes sense in light of knowing, oh, that's why she never answers him. And, oh, that's why he doesn't talk to anybody except the little kid that sees dead people. And, all. and like, oh, that makes, I'm telling you like the whole plot of the movie now. But, it, oh, that, that makes total sense. Okay, so that's what we've got to do. What we've got to do is fast forward to kind of the end of the movie, so to speak. That's the book of Revelation. Last chapter even in the Bible. And this is what uh, John the Apostle, this is the vision he's given for the end of all things. Watch this. John writes, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look what John is saying. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth has passed away. I saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So rather than the soul separating from the body in the end of all things and going to this place where there are harps and clouds and people kind of perpetually singing all the time, rather than the bifurcation or split of heaven and earth, what is John saying? He says heaven and earth will once be united. Do you see it? A new heaven and a new earth and, and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. In other words, in the end of all things, the life to come, there will be a marriage of heaven and earth. A marriage of God and man uniting once again. What was fractured in decreation will be renewed. Let's keep going. Then he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. John says, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. So in the end of all things, the second thing we know, not just the marriage of heaven and earth, but that God will dwell with man, unhindered, unfettered, without anything in the way. And for some of you in the room, you may not be a theist, and that's okay. We're so glad that you're here. For those of you who think there is something kind of out there, my hunch is that you experience that something out there on a regular basis in your life. I do. I have moments in my life where I think this is a divine moment. Or I even look back on moments and I go, man, that was divine. That was unique. And most of the time, it doesn't have to do with material things, does it? Most of the time it has to do with, okay, so I, I, I was on a trip this, this last week, and I got home on Wednesday, and all my, my daughter's four, my son is, I don't know, like eight or something, I don't know how old he is, um, he's, he's, he's a baby still, uh, eight weeks, no personality yet, nice, um, my daughter's four, okay, so when I got home on Wednesday night, all that my kid wanted to do was play Princess Ariel and Prince Eric, and who was Princess Ariel? Her. And who was Prince Eric? Me. And that meant Amy had to be Ursula, but that's beside the point. And, and <laughs> did I want to play that? No. Did I think that was a divine, you know, thing to do? No. I thought it was, that's the last thing I want to do. But you know why she wanted to play it? Because at the end of that movie, Eric and Ariel get married. And they hug and they kiss. So over and over and over and over, we played the marriage of Eric and Ariel. Because over and over and over and over, my daughter wanted to hug me and kiss me, and she just needed an excuse to do it. It's just these moments, right? It's these moments where you're like, there's something more here. 
than, than just material, than just natural. There's, there's something divine in this moment. See, what John is promising here and what God is promising through John is that in the end of all things, those moments will be unhindered, unfettered. Those moments won't be few and far between, but that's what we'll experience on a daily basis. That's more than clouds and harps, right? (laughs) These divine moments. Let's keep going. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Some of you this morning, this is all you need to hear. And and once you're done, you can post on Facebook, whatever else you want to do. Go to lunch, beat the crowd, whatever. One day... In the end of all things, he will wipe every tear from your eye. He'll be gone. Death shall be no more. It won't even be a thing anymore. It won't exist anymore. No more mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. In other words, all wrongs will be made right. All wrongs will be made right. All the things that went haywire in this life because of decreation, because of rebellion, will be made right in the life to come. Let's keep going. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Love that. We talk about that all the time in here. All things new. And he said, also write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Get it that when John talks about life after death or the life to come, he's not talking about all new things. He's talking about all things new. Do you see the difference? Not talking about all new things. He's talking about all things new. So he's talking about recreation. <laughs> see, once we had creation, perfect. Then decreation because of our sin and rebellion. But one day, Jesus will return and he will declare all things new and we will have recreation. So in other words, here's, here's, go back to our kind of our linear graph again, kind of our timeline of things. Here's what the Bible suggests to us. That you have life, then death, then life after death, then as N.T. Wright would say it, life after life after death. <laughs> There will be this moment here where Jesus returns, unites heaven and earth, uh, brings God's dwelling place to be with man, and all things are made new. What happens then in the meantime? Short answer. Ready? I don't know. (laughs) There are some theologians that suggest that it's almost like sleep. That saints who have died in Christ just go to sleep and then one day they awaken to the new creation and life to come. There are some that suggest that. It's like, it's like uh, did you ever like, have something really exciting that you were looking forward to as a kid that was going to happen the next day? You ever have that like Christmas or like Disneyland? Or like if you're Canadian, like what, do you, what, do, what are the fun things you look forward to as a kid? Apple picking? The Leafs losing. What is, what is it? What is it that you look forward to? Something what? What is it? Summer. Summer. Whatever that is. Right? It was crisp this morning, wasn't it? It's coming. It's coming. So here's the thing. It's as if you're just this, this child, right, that, that, that finally after all this anticipation has been built up, finally you go to sleep. And you sleep for six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, whatever it is, but it feels like a blink and then you awaken and it's Disneyland Day. And it's just a blink and then you awaken and it's new creation. That's what some theologians would suggest. That is not my view. 
I will just suggest to you my view for two reasons. One is when Jesus was on the cross with the thief and the thief said, remember me when you're in your kingdom, what did Jesus say? In a few days, you'll be with me in paradise. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And when Paul talks about his own death in the book of Philippians, he says, it is better for me to depart and be with Christ, period. Not be with Christ eventually, but be with Christ. So here is my personal take. What I'm sure of is that this life, you know, I think therefore I am. Here's where we are right now. That's this life. And in the life to come, all things made new and recreation. We're going to talk about that just a little bit more because that's the key piece here. But in this kind of in-between time, my take on the, what the Bible says is that saints that die in Christ go to be with Christ awaiting that moment when he makes all things new. Okay, that would be my take. So for those of you, you know, who have even lost people even recently, here they are, just with Jesus in his kingdom, waiting on that day he makes all things new. This is why the Nicene Creed, which is one of the earliest creeds of the Christian church, says this. This is how it ends. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And here's the thing about recreation. Recreation is about restoring man into the presence of God. Recreation is about restoring man into the presence of God. It's about finding that place where God and man dwell together once again. It's about God entering into human history once again and making all things new and putting the world to rights. So what we have to look forward now, what we have to look forward to now is the physical resurrection of our bodies, God giving us new bodies. We look forward to recreation. We look forward to him making all things new. So let's be specific now, and we'll look at Jesus and Paul. Let's be specific now about what is actually going to happen when God makes all things new. And remember, because we have recreation, because we have uh, kind of God making all things new on our mind as kind of the end game, we can look back at what Jesus and Paul Paul have said about uh, the life to come and use that as a lens and understand what it is they're saying. So if you're jotting down notes, in the life to come, recreation means ultimate justice. Recreation means ultimate justice. All wrongs made right. Cosmic wrongs, universal wrongs, global wrongs, personal wrongs, corporate wrongs, all wrongs made right, ultimate justice because of what Christ did. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate when he tells this parable. Jesus says this. He says, there was a rich man uh, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So stop there. Here's what Jesus is saying. Picture two men. One is rich as he can be. He lacks for nothing. The other, named Lazarus, and we don't know why Jesus gave uh, this individual a name. Only parable that Jesus tells where somebody has a name. Perhaps he just came from his friend Lazarus' house. We, knew, we know he had a friend named Lazarus, but we're not sure why this man is named Lazarus. But Lazarus is at the gate of the rich man's house. And it says that he has sores that dogs are licking. Thus, he's, he likely has leprosy. He has nothing to eat, and the rich man is just gorging at the table, right? Just feeding on everything he's got. Keep going. It says, the poor man died and was carried to the angels, uh, carried by angels to Abraham's side. 
Now, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom was kind of a metaphor for uh, those who loved God and where they went when they died, to Abraham's side. So that's a good thing. It's a good place, right? The rich man also died, and he was buried. And in Hades, so that's the Greek word for the bad place, all right? That's what we're talking about there. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Keep going. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Let's just stop here for a minute. I talked about hell uh, a couple years ago, and you can jump online and watch it uh, online. But in my opinion, my read of the scripture here, this is metaphor. It's not literal. And so when Jesus is using this terminology, especially in a desert landscape like first century Palestine was, this man is in torment and he just needs a touch of water, something to stop this pain that he's experiencing. He's not necessarily in literal flame. This is not like, you know, the picture of hell that we have now where, you know, there's a guy running around in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns going, you know, get back in the fire. Like that's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is the rich man is now uh, gone from this life into the next, and he's in torment and once out. Jesus continues. He says, uh, Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us, you, uh, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who had passed from here uh, to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. So this, this rich man that's now in Hades is looking at Abraham going, send Lazarus to my father's house, because I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And I love this. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to hear them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In this way, Jesus is actually foreshadowing his own death and resurrection. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus, especially uh, as Jesus tells it in this context, is trying to highlight this, that recreation means ultimate justice. In this life, Lazarus received bad things and the next good things. In this life, the rich man uh, feasted sumptuously and didn't care for others around him. And in the next life, he received uh, bad things. There's two things that Jesus is pointing out here in terms of ultimate justice that, that again, that's why we name this series, This Might Get Awkward. First, for those who don't respond to the call to repent and believe, there is an eternal destiny that is not recreation. There is an eternal destiny that is separation from God. I'm going to be very careful this morning not to use the word hell because once again we've got all these things that we've kind of packed into that word and used to define that word uh, specifically that it, it, historically it came out of Dante's Inferno, by the way. But I'm not going to use that word this morning. Uh, what, what I perceive hell to be is simply a separation from God. For those who reject uh, God in this life now, God at some point says, Okay, if that's what you want, here's the natural consequence of your reaction, of your response to me. 
A couple days ago, uh, when I was putting Kaya down to bed, she had this, she has a little yogurt drink. It's about this big. And she's drinking this yogurt drink, and she threw a fit and threw her yogurt drink in the air, and it went everywhere, went all over the place. And I said, first of all, please don't do that again. And she said, Daddy, get me another yogurt drink. And I said, baby, that's it. That's it. That was your yogurt drink. It's gone. We don't have any more. This is apparently what you wanted. And I told you if you threw it, it was going to be gone. So this separation from God and the life to come for those who don't know him is simply a natural consequence of rejecting him in this life. People ask, you know, does God send people to hell or does God separate people from him when, when, when they pass from this life into the next? I think the reality is he just gives them the natural consequences of their actions, just passes it on to them just as he promised he would. And for those who have asked, you know, uh, so what about those who have never heard? What, what happens then? Well, Romans says this, look, uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without what? Excuse. So the, the reality is this, that God reveals himself in creation and nature. Sometimes it's naturally, sometimes it's supernaturally in order to give all opportunity to repent and believe, experience his grace, and look forward to the life to come. And if we believe this, and, and we do, in James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. So every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In the life to come, if one is separated from God and separated from the presence of God and the power of God and the blessings of God, those divine moments now go away. Those good and perfect gifts go away. And that is ultimate justice in the eyes of God. That's true. Second thing is this, there's ultimate justice in, in the little things, in, in the individual things. In the things that we look at our life and we go, that's not fair. That's not what I'm watching on the news, that's not fair. That, that cosmic earthquake, that's, that's not fair. That, that, that you know, the, the, the kid that's born into poverty, that's not fair. God promises in recreation... In recreation, ultimate justice will come, and all things will be made new. Second, recreation, the life after life after death, means perfect family. Means perfect family. Now, some of you look up here and you, you read these words, perfect family, and you think that's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp, you know. Uh, uh, organized government. Like you think, you know, there's no way those go together. You think, in my family put the fun in dysfunctional. So this is not, this does not exist. And, and the reality is, pro you're probably right. Your family probably did put the fun in dysfunctional. Some of you I know, and I'm absolutely positive that they did, all right? But here's the deal. In God's perfect family, when you take sin out of the picture, all things are made new, and God dwells with man. We become brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's nothing hindering the connection that we have, even now as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, just before he's going to die, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will once again come and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be 
also. Now, I don't know uh, what kind of situation you grew up in in terms of spirituality or, or, or religion, but what I grew up in is a, is a thing called Southern Baptist. And Southern Baptists are a wacky group of folks. And, and in our songs, we sing a lot about heaven. We sing about the streets of gold and the crystal seas. Anybody familiar with that kind of stuff? And, and we sing about uh, this place called, I remember singing at my grandmother's funeral, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. We, we, talk, we sing about mansions in the skies. Anybody heard that one about mansions in the sky? Okay, look, in first century Palestine, if you are a poor carpenter or like Jesus was, homeless, you don't have mansions, right? This is what a first century home looked like. The father of the home would continue to add on to the home and all the children would live together on that property. I've seen stuff like this in Africa among uh, the, the indigenous people there of compounds, just homes and, and rooms and built on together. So when Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many rooms, so I'm going to prepare a place for you, a room in this house where we are all a family together. And some of you are thinking, I'd rather go to hell. I think that's, I'd rather, I'm not, okay, it's going to be great, I promise, okay? Because what he's saying is res, uh, recreation means perfect family. Recreation means no more loneliness. Recreation means no more fights over the dinner table. Recreation means brothers and sisters together Arm in arm with all things in common, recreation means a united humanity where we don't have the threat of nuclear war, where we don't have the threat of somebody shooting somebody else on the subway, where we don't have the threat of somebody knocking somebody else out, where we don't have all the things that we look at that wouldn't happen if we were a perfect family. See, when God makes all things new, he'll make a perfect family. Here's the last thing I want to tell you, and this, this is amazing to me. Uh, resurrection or recreation means glorified bodies. means glorified bodies. Uh, th this is what Paul says. Look, look what he says in, in Philippians 3. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, when sin entered the world and rebellion entered the world, our bodies began to break down. And some of you who are young, you know, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you're like, yeah, I got a, I got a hangnail and had to call in sick to my class at Tyndale, right? Like, and that's what you think, you know, that, that your body breaking down. But when you get to be my age, I'm 54 this year. <laughs> I look good for 54, though, don't I? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm 39, I turn, four, I turn 40 next year. Some of you uh, are twice as old as I am, and that's great, that's awesome. And you know that this body is a tent, don't you? You know that at one point it was set up and that tent was there, but at some point you're going to pick up that tent. <laughs> and it will be no more. And your eternal home will not be a disembodied consciousness or soul floating around in some ethereal place. You're going to get a new body, a glorious body. Mine is going to be the rocks. That's who I'm going to take. Now, I've already called dibs. So you can have whatever one you want, but I've got the rock, okay? But it's a body that doesn't get sick. It's a body that doesn't grow old. It's a body that doesn't get tired. It's a body that you never have to go in somewhere and say, you know what, the results came back. Or, or you know what, 
I'm looking, I'm looking, and I can't find a heartbeat. We'll never hear that anymore. Because recreation means glorified bodies. This is just fascinating to me. Now, in light of all that, in light of all that, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, starts to unpack this in a very detailed way. And I, and I want to read it to you. It's a little bit extended, but stick with me here. Here's what Paul says. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we, shall, we won't all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, new body. And we shall be changed. Keep going. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. That's recreation. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. Gone in a moment. Oh, death, where is your victory? Now Paul is just mocking death. I love this. Where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's like when I'm playing soccer and people like mouth off and they start to chirp and I just go, scoreboard, scoreboard. That's only if we're winning. Okay, in this point, <laughs> Paul is looking at death. He's going, scoreboard, scoreboard. Okay. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what we have throughout the scripture is that recreation is not an escape from this life. It's reclamation of earthly life. It's not that we look to heaven by and by, pie in the sky, where we can finally be done with all this stuff. What we look forward to and eagerly await, as Paul would say in Philippians 3, is a Savior who's going to return and obliterate and eliminate sin and death and all that got in the way of those divine moments that we have on a day-to-day basis, all that got in the way of God dwelling with man, all, God in the, all that got in the way of what we sang about to start the service, we pray for your kingdom to reign on this earth as it is in heaven. All that got in the way will be gone. God will dwell with man. Heaven will meet earth, and all things will be made new. That's good news. It's exciting stuff. And then, and, then, and then Paul does this. Paul does this. Look, at he's talking about recreation, right? He's talking about the end of all things. He's talking about the things to come. He's talking about afterlife, right? And then he does this. Watch. He goes, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it? Therefore. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable and always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does he say? As you look forward to recreation, get busy. Abound in the work of the Lord. Get after it. Because if we look to heaven as kind of escape from this earthly life, if we look to heaven as kind of by and by, pie in the sky, if we look to heaven as when, you know, God's going to take us there and then we leave all this behind, it's like, you know, you have a rental car. Like nobody washes a rental car. Right? You eat sunflower seeds, just throw them all over the place. Put it in the free, put, you know, 75 miles an hour going down the th- freeway. Throw it in reverse just to see. I bought the insurance. What, what happened? Right? But Paul says, no, 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 no. Because it's a reclamation of earthly life, because it's not a, it's kind of getting rid of it, that God is going to restore and renew it. He says that recreation means we have mission. And that mission is to bring life and wholeness and God's kingdom in the here and now. Men and women of God, if you consider yourself a Christian 
as we look forward to one day when Jesus will make all things new, it is our job in the meantime to get busy. It is our job in the meantime not to memorize scripture. If you've got a lot memorized, great. It's not our job in the meantime to read Christian books. If you read them, fantastic. It's our job in the meantime to receive life from God and bring life to the neighborhood and city that we live in and the community that we live in. It's our job in the meantime to get on mission with him, to always abound in the work of the Lord, to be gracious and generous and kind, and to be over the top to people so they go, what in the world are you doing? Well, I'm just looking forward to the day where all things are made new and creation is put to rights. And in the meantime, I'd like to move that mission forward. That's our job, be reminded. For those of you who maybe have never considered what your eternal destination might be, I want to point out uh, just something that I find very fascinating. A man named Thomas Cole in the 19th century did a series of four paintings. They're called The Voyage of Life. And the Voyage of Life paintings, all four of them, were always meant to hang together because it takes us through the Voyage of Life, appropriately named. The first painting is up here on the screen. It's kind of entering life. You see a, a baby here in the boat with an angel, and it's, the, the boat is kind of emerging from a dark cave into kind of uh, vegetation and sun and light. You know, many of us are kind of in this place. So we have a lot of young people here where we're just kind of getting life started and all things look bright before us. In the next painting, Thomas Cole, uh, talk, he's painting adolescence here where now uh, the individual who's an adolescent is leaving the angel behind. Anybody know any adolescents that have done this? <laughs> is leaving guidance behind, leaving the divine behind to go and pursue what uh, he or she wants in the future. Then there's adulthood, and many of us are in this spot. Adulthood, where there doesn't seem to be any divine to be found. No angel, no nothing. And the man is in his boat going through some pretty rough and rocky waters and begging, Oh God, where are you? Some of us feel that way. And in the fourth painting, Thomas Cole paints the end of life. The man is now old. He's sitting He's looking to the angel who's guiding him to another angel in the back of the painting into the unknown. It's the end of life. When it's done, when this life is over. And the statistic still is true that 100% of us will die. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how much money you have, there is a headstone somewhere waiting for you. Just waiting for you. Here's the truth. Someday, each of us will find ourselves in the fourth painting. Maybe you're just starting life off. Maybe you're in your adolescence. Maybe you're in adulthood and you're wondering where God is. But that fourth painting is going to come. My encouragement to you this morning is to believe in Jesus. Believe in the good news that he's come to make all things new. Trust in him and be confident that your eternal destiny is secure in Christ as you await the recreation of all things. Let's pray together. As the band and the choir come back up, I would just invite you to ponder even your own mortality. I know that's a challenging thing to do, a difficult thing to do. But let us remember that these bodies are temporary. They're just tents. And saints of God, we await our eternal home. Maybe for those who have never responded to Jesus, this would be a great time to do that, to say, Jesus, you are king, you are God. 
And though I've run away from you, now I run to you. And I accept what you did for me on the cross. I accept your grace and your mercy. And I want to follow you. God, thank you for what we have to look forward to. Not some ethereal, almost ghostly, subconscious kind of thing but real, tangible recreation of all things. May you give us hope today in that. In Christ's name, the people of God said, amen. Let's stand and respond as we sing.